Hi, folks, and thanks to ButcherBox for supporting The Larry Miller Show. For free bacon and $20 off your first box, go to butcherbox.com slash Larry and enter Larry at checkout. And now, live from Level 5 Productions on the island of Milleronia, it's The Larry Miller Show! Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who wonders whether voting is stupid or brilliant. Hi, folks, and welcome back to The Larry Miller Show. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And boy, oh boy, is it a beautiful day here on Milleronia. I know it's always beautiful because I insist on it. It's one of my big rules, and everyone knows that when my rules are violated... That means a very quick, unpleasant trip to one of the volcanoes. And not for me. In any case, though, it's gorgeous here. And, oh, I love it. And uh, you can, well, we have great elections here, by the way, too. But uh, that will come later. It's so beautiful here. And as always, that music makes me happy. and, And, of course, that's the James Gregory Orchestra and... The Angela Lansbury Dancers, featuring boy tenor Mike Lucking, asking the musical question, Is it just me, or does dramatic acting look a lot easier to do than comedic acting? Good question, Mike. And that is no kidding around. That's a very good question. First of all, sure, yes, dramatic acting can look a lot easier. But on the other hand, you know... Try playing Robert De Niro's part in Raging Bull or Gary Cooper's part in High Noon or Elizabeth Taylor's part in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. In other words, great dramatic acting is maybe the hardest thing in the world to do. And I can tell you comedic acting is very hard, too. You know, a quarter inch too much this way or that way on reading and the emotions or whatever, you know, you look like an idiot. But it raises a very interesting artistic question. For instance... Is playing Beethoven's Third Symphony harder or easier than being in The Grateful Dead? It's not as easy to say anymore, is it? But boy, good question, Mike. My only real advice is keep going. Drama, comedy, keep working and never stop. For you, for everyone listening, never stop. Maybe one day you'll be smart enough to say which was harder. And by the way, there's much to say about Angela Lansbury and James Gregory, speaking of great acting, but that will come later. And by Butcher Box. That's right, folks. You know what? It's, it's, it's really so good that uh, Butcher Box is part of our show here now. Thanks to Butcher Box for supporting our podcast. This is a product, by the way, perfectly tailored for the Larry Miller Drinking Society. Let me tell you how Butcher Box works. 
It's really fantastic that you choose from curated boxes, including a mix of high-quality beef, chicken, and pork, or customize your own box. The meat is frozen at the peak of freshness in individual vacuum-packed, biodegradable packaging. Each box is shipped with a carefully calculated amount of dry ice to ensure it remains frozen after it reaches your doorstep. Folks, these guys are good. ButcherBox delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken, and heritage-breed pork, so you can cook with peace of mind knowing you're eating healthy, high-quality meat. And believe me, you are. And it's so convenient. I mean, think of ButcherBox as your neighborhood butcher. You get quality beef, chicken, and pork delivered right to your door. You choose your delivery frequency, and each box includes Recipe cards with tips to cook high-quality meals. ButcherBox sent me a box to try out, and I'm telling you, I loved it. That is no baloney. And the, the quality and convenience really can't be beaten. And in fact, tonight, my wife made one of their things in there. was, And she said, boy, I have to make that. It looks so good. It's grass-fed beef pot roast thing. I can't remember all the words it had on it. I should have saved the wrapper. But I'm telling you, it was just terrific. And she made it and put, you know, put in a bunch of, into a pot, what Dutch oven. That's what they call those things. And she made it, it, it cooked beautifully. And she put in peas and uh, pearl onions and carrots and uh, parsnip, which was one of those things that I didn't, I didn't know what it was. But, you know, you, you hear the word a lot. Folks, I'm telling you, this was a terrific dinner. And Colonel Jeff was on his way from another job, and he couldn't be here in time for it, even though, you know, we said, come on over, have some of this. But we'll do it again soon. We're going to order a lot more. And uh, these guys know what they're doing. So remember, for free bacon and $20 off your first box, go to butcherbox.com slash Larry and enter Larry at checkout. Remember, that's free bacon and $20 off your first box by going to butcherbox.com slash Larry and entering Larry at checkout. I've got news for you. These guys know what they're doing, and you'll be glad you did. And that brings me to my favorite part of the show, the joke of the week. And uh, I love this. I know I've said that before, but I'll be saying it again. I love passing on and keeping good jokes alive. And I hope uh, I hope you do too. And uh, here's one the Colonel and I got a kick out of. It's it's fun. It's uh, there's a young man working at a company, he's an engineer, and uh, boy, that's a pretty big company. And they do all sorts of complicated things. And uh, he's there one afternoon, a little after closing time, and well, just finishing up some of his work and a report on this and some designs on that. And he's thinking about, well, he checks his watch. Well, it's time to get get, get going and get, go home. And he just glances into, uh, as he's walking down the hallway, into the, the uh, copy room where the copier is. His boss is standing there looking at a piece of paper and looking puzzled. And he's standing right by the shredder. And uh, he's the CEO of the whole company. And, well, his father and his father's father and the one before that were all heads of this company. 
And he looks in and says, uh, thinks to himself, wow, you know, I should go say hello and this be a, well, sure, there may be brownie points, but I, I, you know, I'd like him to say hi, see that I'm working late. And, uh, so he does that. He, he, he walks in and says, uh, hi, sir. I was just uh, heading out and I saw you and I wanted to say hello. And then he looks at the boss again and was a little, still puzzled and says, is everything all right? Can I help you with something? And the boss says, uh, yeah, I could use your help. This is an important document, and I don't know how to work this machine. My my secretary is gone for the day, and uh, could you help me with this? Do you know how to work it, turn it on, do something? And uh, the young man says, yes, sir, I do. And he takes the paper from him and uh, turns on the machine on the shredder there and turns it on in the back and in the front and gets it. It's all powered up and all ready to go. And uh, he takes that, well, that piece of paper, and he just puts it right in the slot on top, and the thing go, eats it and just whoosh, whooshes it away out of sight. And suddenly you hear that, and it sh- shreds it just to pieces. And the boss's big smile comes across his face and says, oh, great, okay, I just need one more copy. <laughs> That's a pretty good one, and we got a kick out of it. And as always, if you like it too, pass it on and keep it alive to your family and friends and loved ones. And uh, we like doing that here, and I hope you like doing it too. And that brings me to my second favorite part of the show, The Poetry Corner. That's a great string quartet. And uh, this is a terrific poem by quite an author. It's uh, called An Autumn Blooming Rose by Alfred Austin, who was a British poet and lived from 1835 to 1913. Get this. He was the critic, novelist, and political journalist, and he was the poet laureate of England in 1896. That's pretty good stuff. And here's one of the reasons why. An Autumn Blooming Rose by Alfred Austin. I found and plucked an autumn blooming rose and shut my eyes and scented all its savor. When lo, as in the month the blackthorn blows, lambs gan to beat and merle and lark to quaver. Flower of my life, Inestimably dear, now that its calendar wanes sere and sober, to me your freshness turning back the year makes that seem April others call October. With me tis autumn and with you tis spring, but love hath brought these seasons sweet together. Within your leafy life I sit and sing, and you with me share wealth of harvest weather. Thus all things we exchange and nothing lose. Take your life's wisdom, lend to me life's sweetness. Your vernal voice shall wed my mellow muse, and song give youth, and youth give song completeness. Well, that's pretty good. I'm 
I love someone, well, a great poet who can really write down words and, and mix them. Mix them like that. Thank you, Alfred. Good work. And that brings me to my third favorite part of the show. The Magic Movie Moment. Boy, this is a good one, too. And uh, it's called The Manchurian Candidate from 1962. There was another one made, uh, I think, 10 years or so ago, a remake of it. And I haven't seen it yet. But this is a wonderful movie, The Manchurian Candidate, the one from 1962, which is written by Greg Axelrod, directed by the great John Frankenheimer, starring Frank Sinatra, Lawrence Harvey, Angela Lansbury, Janet Lee, Henry Silva, and yes, James Gregory, and there's it's so many others. This is a great cast. What a story of soldiers who were captured in the Korean War, American soldiers who were taken then to Manchuria to be worked on by bad people, the bad agents of both, well, the communist Chinese and the communist Russians. And it's a terrific movie. And in fact, boy, Angela Lansbury, by the way, is married to in the movie to James Gregory. And uh, he's going to be maybe the vice presidential candidate. And her son in the movie, the great Lawrence Harvey, was, well, he was brainwashed. Good. And we find out she has a very dark past. And her, her, her present time is she is not a good operator at all. And certainly not someone you want as a mother. And there's a scene, folks, that's a magic movie moment to me, that she, Angela Lansbury, is with her son, Henry Silva, and uh, they're in uh, a hotel room or an office somewhere, and they're all alone, and it's nice furniture. Maybe it's their house. And uh, he's feeling very low, and he's feeling disoriented, and she talks him in and talks him out of this and that, and she is showing her support for him, but we know it's not that at all. And she, his mother, leans into him at one point and puts one of her hands on his face and just leans in a little further and kisses him. And it's not a tiny kiss. It's not a brief kiss. This is a kiss. This is a man-woman kiss. And it's, uh, well, several seconds long. She leans in and kisses him and then pulls away. And that's when we, you and I, and everyone in the audience begins to think, well, there's a reason this guy's crazy. But, folks, it's a great moment in a great movie. Please see it. If you never have The Manchurian Candidate, and if you if you already have, wow, this is one of those 30 times you have to see it, movies. I sure do. And you know what, though? That's all about, I was looking for something tonight that was about politics, no matter how crazy it was. And it made me think of that because, of course, just, well, yesterday was election day all across our country. And there are so many people running and so many bonds and bills and so many things. Should we do this or that? And some of them you wonder, why can't people, my wife and I were saying, 
Can't they do this in the state legislature? Do we have to vote on these things? Because I get to the, I get to it. Yeah, I don't know who's running for appeals court judge. I don't know who those thirty-seven names are. And by the way, they don't say anything about them, or they don't say what political party they are. If that if that means something to you, and they, so I don't. There was a lot of stuff I don't vote for, but I voted. There was one about daylight savings time, and uh, in California. Uh, that was uh, to be, well, it was on on the ballot. And the idea was that uh, enough people complain about daylight savings time, so they wanted to get rid of it. This was a, a bond or bill to say, let's get rid of daylight savings time. And uh, as my wife put it, well, that just sends it back to the legislature and the state capitol, and then they send it to Congress. And, you know, I <laughs> said to her, what do you think the chances are of any of these knuckleheads ever getting something straight? I mean, let's be honest. And and I love daylight savings time. That's the truth of it. And one of our kids who was away at college, had a, uh, an absentee ballot he used to vote on, and he and I both voted to keep daylight savings time. And my wife voted, uh, well, to, to get rid of it. She thought this and that, as, as so many folks do. And that's fine, by the way, for her opinion, their opinion. I don't know how people get this in their heads, and it gets drummed into them, but uh, that that's the way it was. And I remember thinking, and I, God, I voted the way I wanted to vote. And by the way, the bill passed, meaning goodbye daylight savings time. And I I don't know why we do these things, folks. I swear I don't. What is daylight savings time for? I've talked about this before over the years, but I don't even know. I remember being a kid and my parents saying, well, it's for farmers. It helps the farmers. And I remember asking them, how does it help them? And that's when you get one of those parent answers of, how do we know? Why, why are you asking us that? You know, and go clean your room. But the, the, they're right. It was supposed to be for farmers. But the thing is, that's not why I love daylight savings time so much. I love it because... You and I, we get to change something in our lives. We really never get to do that, but we can change the time. I think that's a pretty big thing to do, to change the time. Well, it's 6 o'clock. No, we all say it's 5. Wow, can you just do that? It's Monday. No, it's Friday. Can you just, how far can that go? But there you are, that's, that's politics, and I was in, in, in a mood of thinking that, uh, why are we doing this? Why am I doing this? Why am I going, sure, my kid, I'm glad he voted. I'm proud of him, and uh, sure, he voted by ballot out, out of town, and and uh, it means something to me, but I didn't know how much it meant because uh, I was voting. Our polling place was at a home, someone's house, a mile or so from uh, here, or on the mainland, I mean. And uh, it's, you know, you go over there. What's it, I went there till about, to get there about 12.30 or 1 in the afternoon. And folks, you know, I pulled up and it's parking. It's it's a nice area, a nice neighborhood, and it's uh, nothing fancy. And the houses were all one story with two bedrooms and a and a small lawn in front maybe a little fence around it. And uh, this was such a house. And uh, I parked and then walked up the driveway. 
their place to a single car garage and they had a they had a sign out front that was poked into the lawn saying polling place and well that struck me that's i like the name of that i like that it's official and uh, just a few feet from that was our flag the american flag and not a small one it was on a pole that they well also leaned against part of the fence and it was a it was pretty big and was gently blowing in the soft wind at the time there. And I walked inside to the big, big garage door is open. It's just a one-car garage. And sure enough, they have, well, two tables set up, one on one side, one on the other. And it's four ladies from the, well, League of Women Voters. And they're all in their late 70s and maybe a little more. And there was one fella who's the same age as them, late 70s or early 80s, and uh, you go in line. And there was no just a few people ahead of me and no one at that point behind me, and it was such a nice afternoon. And I walked up to the guy first, because that's how you do. You start there, and he said, uh, asked my name, and I said, Miller. And he smiled and said, well, I guess I can spell that one. And he kind of chuckled, and I, I chuckled too. He was being so, well, so nice. And I said, you know what? So can I. I know the feeling. And he chuckled back again, and he found my name. And uh, he put a little square over it that you can makes it a little more visible. And he handed me a pen because you sign your name there where your name is printed. And, well, that doesn't sound like much, but it is to me. It was very official. It's part of what our government does. And then I moved to the next woman. I, I smiled at him and moved on to the next woman. And she checked my address. And she was wearing a T-shirt that said, let's vote or something like that. And uh, with a hat, I remember, kind of a funny hat. And uh, But she was very nice also and checked my address and smiled and handed me a ballot, a ballot book, a sample ballot book. And... I said, well, thank you. And then she just smiled and pointed to where there they were, the uh, the voting booths. But they're not booths. There's no door closing them. There's no curtain pulled across. It's, well, they're in the open. I'm sure most of you or all of you know what these things look like. They're, well, only about two or three feet wide. And it's just little side boxes to each one. And there's a little tray in the middle of it. And on that, is where you put, well, your ballot that the woman just gave you. And it's one of those little uh, little tiny, I guess you could call it a machine, but uh, I did, I put that in there, and it just pops in and stays in, and there you go. You pick up the little pen or the little device that punches out the holes, and you start just turning leaf by leaf, and you, you you start going. And remember, by the way, this is in a single car garage and plenty of light. But uh, I have to tell you, even then, just going through it, turning, as I said, leaf by leaf, it was fun. I felt like a good citizen, like a good Californian, like a good American. And, well, I... Now, as I said, I don't know who the appeals court <laughs> judges are, and I don't know this and that, 
And, well, I don't know about your TV, but ours was loaded with commercials for, no, Prop 8 is the thing to do. That's a fantastic, oh, no, it's terrible. It's, I don't know, you know, whom do you trust on that? I, I don't know. And, uh, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna check. I'm not gonna spend 10 hours researching Prop 8. And that's another case, as I told you, my wife and I was saying, can't they do this in the Capitol? Why do we have to do these things? And, but I finished and I was still smiling because I was enjoying that I was part of this process. And when I finished and turned the last leaf, I, popped the ballot out of the tiny machine there and just picked it up and walked to the last table on the other side of the garage there. Other side meaning it's three feet away, but I mean, so it's not like a giant warehouse of things. It's, and she was very nice and said that she, she showed me, uh, well, she took that and she showed me. She ripped off the little nub on it. And then uh, pointed to the box and told me how I put it in there because you have to put it in yourself, and she can't do that for you. And I think that's good that it's it keeps it a little more on the up and up. And she did that, and it just sucks it in there and just and and uh, I said so that's it, and she said that's it, and uh, she gave me not only the little stub from the ballot that she had torn off. Uh, but she gave me, she had a pad of stickers there that said, I voted. And you know what? Every time I had seen those, I thought it was a little knuckleheaded. But not today. I said, thank you. And I took it and I put it on my shirt. And I was glad it was there. And I said, uh, well, I'll see you next time. And she said, I hope so, yes. I'll be here. And she's, then she said, well, I hope I'm here. And if uh, I sure want to be here. And I said, and I sort of stopped her and just said, you know what? I think you'll be here. And uh, let's let's both hope the same thing. And she smiled. And as I turned to walk out of the garage there, she said to me, would you like a cookie? And uh, I stopped and looked at her. And... Uh, she had baked a pan of cookies. Well, again, I know that doesn't sound like too much, maybe, but they looked great there. They weren't huge cookies, like big black and white cookies. These were, oh, about two inches in diameter, and they were chocolate chip-looking type things, and they were thin enough to eat and like. They looked terrific. They looked like the best cookie you'd ever eaten. And I said, well, that's awfully nice. And uh, I said, I smiled at her and said, you know, this is pretty good. You and your friends keep our polling place here clean and safe and open, and I get a cookie too? And she uh, smiled back and said that, uh, well, that's that next time again. And I said, yeah, next time. And I walked out of that garage with my sticker on my shirt and my sample ballot in my hand and took a bite of that cookie, which, by the way, was terrific. I walked down the driveway past a young mother on one of the folding chairs with her dog on a leash, and she was talking to an older man wearing a security jacket, one of those orange jackets. And I walked past two little kids just wrestling and giggling on the small lawn, uh, 
and passed the sign that said polling place, and passed the American flag gently blowing in the noontime breeze. But, you know, before I walked back out into the street and toward my car, I turned back around for a last look and just took it all in, because I was so glad that I had gone, that I was there. And that wasn't the real reason I stopped and turned around again, that the the whole display of these folks in that single-car garage, in that one-story house, with the garden hose piled in rings near the front door and the mailbox with its slightly crooked latch. Well, folks, the truth is, it brought a few tears to my eyes because it was so terrific. You see? And it just dawned on me, maybe for the first time in life. It's not a horrifying dictatorship in the Middle East where we live, where the president always gets... 100% of the vote, you know those places. And it's not an over-tanned, overdressed leader in South America with a uniform that's just preposterous. You know those things. There's shades of, how could you pick colors like the light blue or kind of a bright green with the epaulets, the things on the shoulders that are just huge. Nothing can be that big. It's huge. It's like an entire shoe on your shoulder. And, you know, you know that's one of those places, by the way, where he looks so horrible in that. You know there's no one on his staff who can tell him he looks stupid. They could, but that would be the one time they did that. And you know what? It meant a lot. And I, I got home. My wife was there. And she had a sticker on her shirt, too. And uh, we smiled at each other, and I said, uh, well, you know what, honey? I guess we did it. And our kid did it. And our other kid did it, too. And, well, I think that's I think that's pretty good. And the doggies were there, just wagging and smiling and hoping for a, a huge piece of meat that you had in your pocket. But folks, I hope you had the same feeling. I don't care whether you, you know, supported one thing or the other. You got what you wanted or you didn't get what you wanted. And you know what? It's good to walk into that garage. And I hope you see it the way I did. I know that for sure. And I know it forever. And I hope you do too. So remember, since we know the same things, Homer is Homer, and Pluto is a planet. And remember, folks, as always, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, the game's over and you've won. And that's still the truest thing I know, in addition that it's good to vote. Be well, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>